Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning into the Apex Students Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Apex Students, and we pray that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus. So we've been in this series called, anybody know? Open. Great work. Great work. This series has been called Open. We're talking about what the Holy Spirit does, what happens to you when you're open to what he wants. So can anyone tell me what the first week was for week one of open? Anybody know? Open what? Wrong. Wrong. Heart. Open heart. What happens when you give your open heart to Jesus? Salvation, eternal life, abundant life, that kind of stuff. Week two. How about week two? This guy knows what I'm talking about. Open hands. Great job. The ba- we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what he'll do when you say, God, here's my hands. Do whatever you want with my life. And how about last week? Anybody? Open mouth. Mm-hmm. Mouth. Nah, open mouth. That was a fun sound. Open mouth is what we talked about last week. We talked about the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues, that kind of stuff. It was rad. I loved last week. Tonight, we're giving you an open floor. Open floor to talk about whatever you want to talk about. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about speaking in tongues, hearing the Holy Spirit, and all kinds of other things. We've been um, taking questions for the past four weeks that anyone has. Some people probably didn't submit a single question. Some people submitted more than one question a week, and that's amazing. I had lots of questions to work with. Um, I've read through some of those questions, well, all of these questions, and I love seeing how you guys are thinking. I love seeing that you're engaging with what we're talking about and that so many of these questions, well, either they're very direct with the series that we're talking about, you're engaging with what we're talking about, or you're engaging with your faith in other areas. You're engaging with people. You're asking questions about how do I tell people about Jesus? I'm stoked. I loved it. Um, We're going to talk tonight. I'm only going to answer some of those questions. I didn't get through all of them, Um, but I'm going to say things that you've probably heard me say before or you've heard in church. I'm also probably going to say some things you've never heard in church before, and I'm excited about it. Um, For instance, someone asked, where did you get your pants? I... I, I, thought, I don't know why I thought it was Alyssa. It was. Uh, Old Navy is the answer. Um, these ones, as well as the ones I was wearing. I believe it was week one. I got in the first batch. So um, brown pants from Old Navy. I only got one Rick Roll, which I was a little disappointed in, to be honest. And, and because someone just wrote Rick Rolled on the paper. And you know what? I think you could have done better. I'm just saying three weeks worth of questions, and you couldn't come up with something. I'm disappointed in you, Jonah. I, I'm, not, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Now, listen, you should know, again, I didn't get to every question. Um, I picked out the ones that I felt like were the most universal questions that maybe other people in the room had or, you know, that kind of stuff or or the ones that related to the series. I gave those ones priority because they're fresh in mind. Um, If your burning question does not get answered tonight, feel free to shoot me a text or a Discord message. Um, You can DM the Instagram, the Apex Instagram, however you choose, or just talk to me like a person. (laughs) That's fine as well. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you. So let's get into something, ease into it with something very non-controversial. Can a girl be a pastor? Now, Some are snickering because they know this is quite a controversial question. I'm so glad somebody asked. If you Google this question, you will get a lot of no's. You'll see a lot of people read the Bible and they say, no, a girl cannot be a pastor. Um, You'll get some yeses as well. This is a very divisive topic throughout denominations. Um, Some denominations will say yes and some will say no. Our church, if you don't know, Harvest, so we are Apex students, which is the, the... middle school and high school ministry at Harvest Church, which is a church that belongs to the Assemblies of God, is our, the name of our denomination, our fellowship. And the Assemblies of God, as we read scripture, we say, yes, a girl can be a pastor. 
Uh, pastor Linda, if you don't know her, she is our student or our uh, children's pastor at Harvest. I know some lead pastors that are women that are running a church. Um, there are plenty more that I don't know as well. Paul writes in the New Testament about women in leadership. And if you just read what he says without knowing some things about the culture of the time, you might come away thinking, no, a girl should not be a pastor. Because he, he does say things like women should be quiet in church. They should not be given authority over men. Not a good look for Paul. Now, if you know more about what Paul wrote, he also names by name, he names women that are leaders in the church. So Paul, what are you talking about here? You're talking about Priscilla and Aquila and Deborah. Uh, and, and, and also you're saying women shouldn't be doing what these people are doing. What are you talking about? So, um, we know that he's probably talking about a specific situation. So here's a couple theories. First is that Paul is writing to one church. Um, and he's saying to this church, I know there's a group of women in this church that, that are causing some issues. They're being manipulative. They're using their, their church authority for personal gain. Whatever it is, they are doing it wrong. And he's saying, those women, you need to sit down because you're messing it up. He did that all the time, right? That's consistent with what Paul does. He writes to a church and says, you're messing this up. Here's how you do it. So um, he was course correcting by saying men and women are equal. He was saying women need to step down because they are lording things over men. So another way is um, there was a, a local cult that was, um, I, I don't want to, I think it was like Artemis or, or uh, Athena. I think it was like Greek goddess cult. And they were basically elevating women. They were doing the opposite of the patriarchy. They were doing women are better than men. Men should be subject to women. And so he is spe speaking it was so common that he didn't even mention it. Like if I wrote you an email that said, in these unprecedented times, you would know what I'm talking about, yeah? <laughs> a thing we've all been through, we know well enough that I don't need to say pandemic. He, he, it, it's possible that he, this cult was so prevalent that he, he didn't even have to name it. People knew what he was talking about. When he said, women, you're, you, this cult you belong to is messed up and, and you're, you're doing it wrong. And this is what Paul does all the time, right? He sees a church that says, Paul, help us. Please. They didn't text. I'm using text fingers, but it's Paul, help us, please. And Paul says, okay, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to fix. Very consistent with what Paul does. In short, our church, our denomination does ordain women. One of the cool things is the Assemblies of God have done that from the beginning. Our denomination is only like 100 years old. And way back in 1916, they said, from the very beginning, we're going to ordain women. Very interesting. All right. Is it true that temptation is from the devil? Is it true that temptation is from the devil? First of all, um, here's clearly it's not from God. So James 1, um, it says, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me because God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. So your temptation does not come from God. That might mess with your theology a little bit. This verse might mess with the way you think about temptation because sometimes we think God is testing us. And I think in some ways, he allows us to go through some stuff and he built, most of all, he redeems us. He redeems the bad things that happen in our life. But this seems to say, God does not tempt us. Secondly, I mentioned this uh, last Sunday at Harvest when I preached, Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by explicitly Satan, by the devil. He is tempted, um, which shows us that the temptation comes from Satan. So we can say in, the, in short, yes, the answer is yes. Temptation does come from the devil. What is a way we can turn away from sin? Uh-oh. What is a way we can turn away from sin? Uh, I go to 2 Timothy 2.22 for this one. I preached an entire sermon on this because this verse is so dense with, with you know, information, with things. So I'm going to read it. Run from anything that stimulates useful, youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord 
with pure hearts. So he's like, all right, when you're facing temptation, when you, uh, what's the question? Uh, when you need to turn away from sin, here are some things. One, flee from it. Get out of there. Flee from evil desires. Two, replace the bad with the good. Don't just run away from sin, but, but replace that temptation, that sinful thing with righteous living, with reading your Bible, with prayer, with, with good things. Replace the bad with the good. And third, get good people around you. So he says the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Make sure that your friends are taking you in a direction that you want to go. Does that make sense? Two, 2 Timothy 2.22 is your answer. Great verse. And easy to remember. 2 Timothy 2.22. Remember that. All right. Why does God only speak to certain people? I'm going to tell you, I think he speaks to all of us. I think we sometimes don't know how to listen. Um, which leads us into the next question. And it said a million different ways. How can I tell if the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? Someone else asked, how can you know when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Someone else asked, how do I know the Holy Spirit is talking to me? Someone else asked, how do I know if the Holy Spirit is giving me an interpretation? So that one's a little nuanced, but this is a great question. How can I tell if the Holy Spirit is speaking to me? First of all, let me say it's very difficult. It can be hard to tell, especially if you're, you're exploring listening to God. And it's like the first time and you're like, I don't know if this is from God or from me, or I just had some, something to, like greasy food late at night and I just feel weird because of that. Here's some ways to tell, some, um, some guidelines to help you figure it out. Is it scriptural? Is it in the Bible? Um, if you're hearing something that is against the Bible, if you think God is saying something to you that is against the Bible, he's not. Easy. God doesn't contradict himself. <laughs> so he wrote the Bible. It's God's word, and he doesn't contradict himself. So ask yourself, is it scriptural? Does it feel like it's coming from God? This is way more subjective. It's easy to, to check it against the Bible, but does it feel like it's coming from God? Um, because the Holy Spirit speaks to us with this stuff. And, and I think that when I receive you know, a message from the Holy Spirit, it feels different than when it's something from me, okay? Third question, does it bear fruit? Does it bear fruit? So if it was a message from God for you, does that message bring you closer to God? If it was a message from God for someone else that you gave them, does it bring them closer to God? If it brings godly fruit, it is from God. That's a great test. That one you might have to wait in the future to tell, but if it, if it brings people closer to God, it is from God. So that's a really short answer to a really hard question. What do I say to someone that wants to give up on God because he won't speak to them? This is really tough. Typically, um, I would ask them, are you reading your Bible? <laughs> because there's an old quote said too many times to, to know who said it first. Don't say God is silent when your Bible is closed. Don't say God is, he wrote you a whole book, folks. <laughs> Don't say God is silent when your Bible is closed. What more do you want? Read the book he gave you. He's speaking to you. Um, here is another one, really interesting. Is God a man? Also, somebody asked that. Somebody also asked, how do I explain the Trinity to someone without confusing them? Another great question. So I'm gonna spend a little bit of time on this one. We're talking about the Father, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, who we've been talking about this whole series. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All God. We believe in the Trinity of God. So think about that word Trinity. It means tri-unity. Tri means three. Unity means one. Three, one. In the same word, three, one. That's not like, we don't have a category for that. <laughs> like we as humans, we don't have anything that can be three and one at the same time. So it's a reminder that God is just outside of us. It's just, he's, he is something that we cannot fully comprehend. So that's a good reminder for us. Um, let me say, it's easier to say what the Trinity isn't. So I can't answer this question perfectly, but let me tell you three things the Trinity is not. The Trinity is not three gods. We're not talking about three gods here. Um, our God is three, but he's also one. So to say that he's three gods is to neglect his oneness. Does that make sense? 
He's, he's got oneness. Um, this is called tritheism, if you're, if you're interested. And it's not what we believe. The Trinity is not just one God. Our God is one. But to say he's only one is to neglect his threeness. <laughs> he is one. He's not only one. He's also three. Very confusing. This one's called modalism, if you're interested. The idea that God changes forms to do different things, that is not what we believe. The third one is the Trinity is not made up of like partial gods, <laughs> partially God. So the Trinity is one. The Trinity is one. The Trinity is three. And all three parts are equally God. <laughs> so some people would say that Jesus is less God than the Father, that Jesus was created. We don't believe that. We believe Jesus was, you know, is as God as the Father and the Holy Spirit are. Some would say that the Holy Spirit is more of a force or a feeling or the relationship between the Father and the Son. We don't believe that. The Holy Spirit is its own, his own part of the Trinity. Are you confused yet? <laughs> you should be, and that's okay that you're not. But this one's called Arianism as well, if you're interested. Not what we believe about the Trinity. So we believe that God is Trinity, completely one, completely three. <laughs> uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all equally God. They are distinct and united. Distinct and united. Now, it's hard to explain because, again, we don't have a category for something that can be one and three at the same time. And I don't want to understand God completely. <laughs> because if God was completely understandable by my brain, what would I, why would I worship him? What is, what, I don't need to, I can understand the things around me. Like I can understand my shoe. I'm not going to worship my shoe because I can understand it. So this is an interesting example, <laughs> but, but we don't, we will not understand God because we were created by God. So when I preach on the Trinity, I always use the example of the sculpture. The sculpture can understand the artist. So think about, you know, the chisel and the hammer, just like making a marble statue and the, the statue, the, the hunk of marble can understand the sculptor as much as we, the creation, can understand God, the creator. Not very much. <laughs> he gives us glimpses. He wrote us the Bible. We can learn about him. It's not an excuse to stop trying to learn about him. But it is a reminder that we will not fully grasp him. Is participating in witchcraft bad? What does the Bible say about crystals, fortunes, birthstones, astrology? Great question. Let's read what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. When you enter the land, so this is God speaking to the Israelites, his chosen people, the people is protecting and will fulfill his, his promise, his purpose through these people. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you, be very careful not to imitate the detestable customs of the nations living there. For example, never sacrifice your son or daughter as a burnt offering. And do not let your people practice fortune telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. It is because the other nations have done these detestable things that the Lord your God will drive them out ahead of you. So the Israelites are being welcomed into this new land and God said, don't be corrupted by these people that you're inhabiting this land with now. So there's, let's ask why. And before we ask why, let me say you're not always going to get an answer to that question, why? And we shouldn't need a why to obey God. We shouldn't need a why to obey what God says. If we're following Jesus with our lives, the why shouldn't matter. So we don't always need a why um, for what he does. We don't have to understand what, he do, what he's asked us to do. We do it. That being said, I think I do have a couple whys that might help you um, for this particular command. One of them is that God was calling his people to be different. You are called, you're built differently. 
<laughs> so he's saying, you're, my people, are be, they're, be different. You are called to something different. So um, that's for the people at the time and for us today. We are God's people. We are different. So following the customs of people that aren't following God can take us on a path away from God. These people are speaking to spirits. They're trying to tell the future. They're communicating with the dead. They're doing all these things. And if we do them, we are being pulled away from God because these people that don't follow God are doing these things. So uh, we actually saw this happen over and over, like the, the Israelites, over and over again. They would make small compromises um, and they would start to look like other nations and God would judge them because they were ending up on a path away from God. I think there's another reason as well. Um, there's, another, there's this principle throughout scripture of trusting God and trusting God alone, depending on God alone, only depending on God. So when we do something to supplement trust in God, which means to add to trust in God, so I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna add something else, it's detestable. So this, I think, also includes trusting ourselves. <laughs> like if I'm trusting God, but also I'm gonna do things in my own power. I'm gonna take maybe this piece of my life. I'm gonna take care of this one. God, you got the rest covered? Cool, I'm gonna take care of this part. Not okay. Um, trying to learn the future. That, this is a huge part of like astrology and you know witchcraft, all of these, these things. I don't, do I sound like an old person? <laughs> I sound to myself like an old person. But, but, but it's timeless truth that God said. So if I'm trying to tell the future, it means I don't trust God with my future. Does that make sense? If I'm trying to figure, if I'm trying to talk to the dead to get some comfort, then I don't trust what God says about my eternal security. If I'm trying to consult spirits, I'm not trusting God with wisdom, with his wisdom. So we're showing God that we don't trust him alone. We're looking elsewhere for more trust. See, anybody else have any more answers than God is giving me? That is detestable, not okay. That being said, my birthstone is an emerald. And I think that's kind of cool because I'm Irish. My sign is a Taurus. And I think that's kind of cool because bulls are cool, but I don't think that says anything about me or my future. Um, there is little to no research that crystals or oils do anything. There's some, it's questionable research, but I promise if you are using crystals or oils in a spiritual sense, <laughs> if, you, if there's something mystical about it, uh, if it's taking you away from God, it is detestable for God, detestable to God. And you won't see me anywhere near witchcraft, fortunes, Ouija boards. Because I'm not trying to invite a demon into my house, folks. Come on. <laughs> it's like spiritual stuff. This stuff is real. As real as we see people healed on Sundays and like, and, and you felt God's presence, there is an evil side of that. And, and we, you know, have Jesus in our hearts. So we don't, you know, we are protected to some degree. But if you make an invitation there will be demons. So I don't mean to scare you. <laughs> it's just foolish. Just don't do it. All right. Talk about it more with me if you'd like. How do I know when it's ready to be baptized? This one's easy. All throughout the New Testament, we see people, whole families as well as individuals, they follow Jesus and then they ba get baptized. They make a decision to follow Jesus with their life and then they get baptized immediately. So that's what we're supposed to do as well. If you're following Jesus, you're ready to be baptized. Easy question. As soon as you've accepted Jesus as your savior, you've decided to, you've repented of your sins. You've decided to follow him with your life. You're ready to be baptized. Uh, we do a class to like, so you know what you're doing, the, the significance of baptism, why we use water, all that kind of stuff. We, we talk about Jesus's baptism. Ultimately, this is the only requirement because the Bible said over and over, they repented and were baptized over and over. They decided to follow Jesus and then they were baptized. So there you go. What do I say to someone who feels like God failed them? I'm not going to bring up verses for this one because this one's very personal. And um, I, 
I could go to scripture and show you over and over again how God comes through on his promises um, about how thousands of years ago he made predictions that, that came true with Jesus that are coming true today. I, see, I said I wasn't gonna go to the Bible, but I did it. He's faithful over and over again. Um, but when people tell me that God has failed them, two things come to mind. First, you're not talking about God, you're talking about people. First, you're, you're talking about how people have failed you. God's people have failed you. I love when people say, I walked away from church because I got hurt by somebody at church. I love that because that's easy. Because I can just say, well, that wasn't even God. You're in luck. You can go back to church now. That wasn't even God. Because people are messy and perfect and they get it wrong sometimes. And, and a spirit-filled person should not be mean, but it happens. People mess it up. And so you can encourage people. Hey, if it was because somebody hurt you, you're in luck because that wasn't Jesus. That was somebody messing it up. Forgive them and you can go back to church now. You, you're, congratulations. Um, and you can go back knowing that people are gonna mess it up and knowing you're probably gonna get hurt again. But it wasn't God that failed you. People failed you. The second thing is that the God you believed in doesn't exist. You're in luck again <laughs> because the God you believed in doesn't even exist. If you believe in a God that shouldn't let Christians suffer and they, when they follow Jesus, all their problems go away, sorry, that God doesn't exist. I didn't think I'd be yelling God doesn't exist so much from stage tonight. <laughs> but listen, if you think all your problems are magically gonna go away, of course you're gonna be disappointed. That God isn't real. That's not a real, that's not the God. In fact, our God promises you're gonna suffer. Our God promises things are gonna go wrong. If you believe that God should make you feel good and not ask anything of you, that God doesn't exist. He's not real. Our God says we have to pick up our cross daily. We have to die to ourselves. He's, he is um, putting, we have to put him before ourselves, put others before ourselves. It can be, it's tough. He is the source of love and joy and peace, but that does not mean every moment will be loving, joyful, or peaceful. You're in luck. That God doesn't, doesn't exist. I see people all the time confused about God and they have unrealistic, uh, misguided expectations. And of course, God isn't gonna live up to them. If your expectations are wrong, you're gonna be disappointed. So whether they're false expectations about God or about his people, people walk away from God because of this stuff all the time. And you can tell them, you're in luck. That was people, that wasn't, that wasn't God. Or you're in luck. That God doesn't even exist. You can come back to church now. All right, some gift stuff, spiritual gift stuff. How do I know what gift I have? Someone else asked, does everyone have a gift? Someone else asked, how does the Holy Spirit work in me? Great questions. Last week, we talked about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. And these are the spiritual gifts. I mentioned there was a bunch of different lists, right? I said there's lists all over the Bible. We're gonna talk about a couple more. But 1 Corinthians 12, um, the Holy Spirit uses these gifts in people. And he may use them in anyone, but it doesn't mean Every gift will go to everyone. And it doesn't mean if, you are use, if, you, if God uses you with this gift one time, it doesn't mean you have access to that gift whenever you want forever. That's not how it works with spiritual gifts. These gifts are supernatural in, na in nature. They are God, the Holy Spirit, moving through you in a moment. 1 Corinthians 12 gifts. There's another list in Romans 12 that people call the motivational gifts. Um, and, and they give them a different name because they're a little bit different. This list, I would say, everyone probably falls on this list somewhere. So you are gifted somewhere on this list, everybody. Um, and it's less about the spirit moving in you for one moment and more about the style of your spirit-led life. So 
Um, these are things you're going to see even in non-Christians because they are good things that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is developing in us. And, and sometimes non-Christians get a hold of that. So this, this list has things like serving people, teaching people, encouraging people. If you know somebody who's like, man, that person is very, very encouraging. Every Sunday I go to church and they just say something nice about the way I'm dressed or the way I sang or whatever. They may have this, this motivational gift from Romans of encouragement. Also giving, generous giving, uh, leadership, kindness. These are the kinds of gifts in Romans 12 there. We also talked about the fruit of the Spirit. This is in Galatians. Uh, we talked about this in week one, right? We're being sanctified. The Holy, it's a partnership where the Holy Spirit is working in us, making us more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit produces the, 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 spiritual, the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. He says, um, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is a list. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is, the, this is the way your life is going to look the more you submit it to God. Next question. What do you mean, or what do people, why do, <laughs> can't read. Why do people speak in tongues? I have a couple more questions. That's why I, I got confused. Why do people speak in tongues? Uh, what do you mean by speaking in tongues? Why speak in tongues just to translate it? Interesting question as well. Let's do a little recap from last week. Last week, we talked about two different types of speaking in tongues. Um, they are same in kind, different in function. They look the same almost, but they're used differently. Does anyone remember the first one? Two ty types of speaking in tongues. And, and you don't have to get the exact words right, but give me the concept. Yes, and what was the other one? Anyone else? You know? Praying in the Spirit is the first one. Um, and this is used in private to build your connection with God, a private situation. There's no interpretation because it's not for anyone else. It's a language that God has given you to pray in the Spirit. When you're out of words, when you're out of English words, you pray in the Spirit and God hears you. Now, the other one is the public spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. This is, when it's, this is what you hear in the middle of a worship service where somebody starts to speak in a language that doesn't sound like English and... Um, and then it's paired with the spiritual gift of interpretation where someone you know, puts that into English words. Um, it's a word from God that is encouraging, comforting, or confronting. And then we have this why question. Again, we're not always gonna get an answer to this why question because God's ways are higher than mine. And I'm just not always gonna understand what he does. Here are some thoughts though. Last week I mentioned James. And James writes in the New Testament that the tongue is the hardest part of your body to tame. He says, you know, the tongue, like think about how small a bit in the, in the horse's mouth is. And we can choose the direction of this giant animal just because of the, the bit that is connected to the reins. Think about a giant ship. There's just a little rudder on that ship. Just a little piece of thing that, that takes the boat in the direction it's going. A tiny spark can start a wildfire. He says, this, the tongue is small, but it's super powerful. Huge speeches are made by the tongue. And he says, it's evil. It's wicked. So, as we submit our tongues to be used by the Holy Spirit, this is, an, this is a big statement. This is a big submission. If we give the hardest thing to tame is the tongue and we're giving our tongue, we're opening our mouth to be used by the Holy Spirit, that's a big deal. There's also, I think, a bigger picture. I've heard this preached. Uh, if you zoom out and, and like look at the whole Bible, if you go back to Genesis 11, you'll see people that are coming together in their pride and arrogance and disobedience to God, and they are trying to build a tower to reach the heavens. And they say, you know what? We're really great. Let's build a monument to how great we are. And they build the Tower of Babel. And as punishment, God says, this is not what I told you to do. You're, do you're, you're proud and arrogant, and you're disobeying what I've asked you to do. So as punishment, 
He creates languages and he, he, he gives all these different people different languages and now they don't understand each other. This is the Tower of Babel. So again, that is where we get that word, I, I assume. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't do the etymology on that one. Um, again, th- this is a judgment for pride and disobedience. So the Holy Spirit using the gift of tongues is a reversal of this judgment. Does that make sense? God said you were being punished for your arrogance and disobedience by confusion of languages. And the Holy Spirit comes in later and says, all right, now you can hear a message in tongues that you didn't know, and you're going to understand what God is saying to you. This is a redemption of the Tower of Babel. This is a reversal of that judgment, of that punishment. Super interesting. Um, And you might say, are you really allowed to make a connection all the way back from Genesis to Acts? The book of Acts is where we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I would say, Oh, yeah, Uh, because the entire Bible is about Jesus and what he came to do. And one of the things he came to do was set the stage for the Holy Spirit. The entire Bible is about Jesus and what he came to do. It goes all the way back to Genesis. So this is what Jesus does, this pattern of punishment, redemption, punishment, redemption, um, constantly turning graves into gardens and, and seas into highways and bones into armies, constantly turning death into life, constantly turning confusion into order. In this case, the confusion of language to the order, the redemption of that. Very interesting. I hope you find that as interesting as I do. The entire Bible is about Jesus and what he came to do. Here's a great question. Is the language for a message in tongues different every time? Interesting question. Uh, I don't know about every time. I would assume that there could be some overlap. But I would say there are probably infinite options as far as languages go. Um, so it possibly could be an overlap, possibly could be one person every time they do, you know, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, they use the same language. It's possible. Um, and like I mentioned last week, we're talking about earthly language as well as heavenly languages all throughout time. So like, there's just too many options to know. Great question though. Um, why don't we record a message in tongues to learn the language? Another great question that I don't have a great answer for, but I like the way you're thinking. I would say, uh, because of the many, many options it could be, it would be hard to get that straight. Even with a, a few sentences once a week, it'd be hard to like learn a language through a message in tongues. But I like the way you're thinking. I like the way all of you are thinking. <laughs> I loved reading through your questions, seeing you engage with what we're talking about. Um, it's awesome. It makes me want to do Q&As more often. So keep your cues coming, and I'll bring the best answers I can. So um, we're finished with this open series. Um, I know I'm sad about it too. It's been very fun, even more fun than I thought it was going to be. And I don't want us to leave this series without you really asking God what he wants you to do, because the questions are cool. Speaking in tongues is a gift. You know, baptism in the Holy Spirit for power is amazing. Salvation is a gift from God. But what does he want you to do about it? What's your next step? What is your action point? How is he going to use you in a big way? That's what I don't want us to miss. I think he's got an action point and a takeaway for everybody. So you need to be actively asking God, what, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now what? What do you want me to do? Do you want to transform my spiritual disciplines? Do you want me to start a Bible club at my school? Do you want me to a witness to my unsaved neighbor? What is it for you? I think as we ask him, he'll answer. He'll teach us. He'll speak to us. But what do you have to do? You gotta be open. Jesus, 
Thank you so much for this series, for what we can learn from your word and your spirit speaking to us and teaching us. Thank you so much for students that are engaged with what you're teaching and care about learning more about you. Um, I've just been so inspired by their questions and their engagement with this series. So Father, I pray that you help us to continue to look to your word for wisdom and that we've learned something tonight. We've learned something through this series. So God, we are open to you. Our hearts are open. We've received your salvation and sanctification. God, our hands are open. We, we receive your baptism and say, do what you want to do. God, our mouths are open. We are with the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with that. Father, give us the strength, obedience, and courage to tell people about you and to, be, and to move in your spiritual gifts as well. And God, we thank you for this open floor and the questions that can be answered uh, from your word and from your wisdom. So we thank you. It's in your precious name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Apex Student Podcast. You can listen to more Apex teachings by subscribing on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We pray that this message has impacted your life and that you don't walk away without looking a little bit more like Jesus.